Okay. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. All right, I'm going to start. Um, we're going to start with the serenity prayer. Breathe. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. My name is Michelle, and I am one of the leaders for this meeting, and I'm addicted to food. Hi. The other speaker is Don. This session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that this session might be available online or on podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. We'll, uh, we have a volunteer to be timer. Thank you. Uh, leaders are going to share for 20 minutes each. I think that's all I have to say before the meeting starts. Okay. So again, I'm Michelle. I'm addicted to food. The to- Hi, guys. The topic of this meeting is steps four and five. Um, and um, I guess I want to start by telling you a little bit about kind of where I'm from in recovery. I've been coming to OA since February 2010. I was 284 pounds. I've been higher than that. When I was pregnant, I was over 300. Um, and uh, my current back-to-back abstinence is, I guess, at the end of December, God willing, will be six years. Um, so I'm down 90-something pounds. Thanks. <clears throat> I'm not uh, at my goal weight yet, but I'm working on it one day at a time with God's help. Um, Anyway, so I tried to think about how to organize this because to me, well, the reason I signed up to talk about steps four and five is because to me this is the biggest transformation in the program for me. Um, From doing steps four and five, uh, see, at any point in recovery, we have the understanding we have. And then when I look back, I think, like, I had no understanding until now. (laughs) Except I know that I'll have more understanding later, all the time. So I speak, I mean, with absolute humility that I don't know what's to come. I hardly even understand what's happened already. But if God... So steps four and five, of course, are predicated on our work on steps one, two, and three. And some people call step zero the step of putting the food down, which comes before step one. At least that's the way I've been taught. Um, Although in step one, when I came into program, I was working on putting the food down. And when my sponsor said at some point, you know, if you don't put the food down, I don't know if I could work with you. I thought, no way do you understand how hard it is for me to put the food down if you're thinking I'm going to put it down just because you said you're not going to be my sponsor. But by the way... That pressure did help me put it down because I didn't want to lose a sponsor. It took me a while to find one. Anyway, um, so what happens in step four, and I'm looking at the big book. What happens, I'm just going to say what page in case you're interested. What happens is on the bottom of page 63, we're launching into a course of vigorous action 
Now, if I don't believe that the instructions in this program are going to help me get what I want, why would I follow any vigorous course of action just because some book says it? I've read a lot of books in my life. I haven't always listened to what they said. But the proof in this program, and the book tells us this, is seeing people who have recovered or who are recovering, who have something that we don't have when we come into the rooms. That's the proof. It's not a blood test. It's not statistics that are analyzed on a computer. It's people saying, this is what I did, this is what I have. And with the help of God, maybe we can believe that, that that's true, that we can have a better life. When I'm nervous, I have to clear my throat a lot. It's so weird. Anyway, um, so so what I want to say is that what I... When I first came into program, I used the OA workbook and the 12 and 12 to do the step four. There were a lot of questions that were very, very helpful. And then more recently, I did it through the big book. And this way, I printed out a bunch of grids that look like this. And if you've seen them before, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, it's very easy to Google step four and four worksheets. And what we're looking at is... Um, the resentments we have towards anyone or anything ever, but the, resent, the resentments we have that we feel. And I came into program with a lot of resentments. Some of them left me in other ways that I worked the program before I did this, but I guess I'm a person who easily gets resentments. Um, And I always say, I don't know what part of that is being human and what part of that is having an addiction. But um, the resentments in my life, and the book says this too, get in my way of being happy, joyous, and free. Thank you. They get in my way of being nice to people. They get in my way of feeling like I have a legitimate place among humanity on this planet because I'm always beating myself up. By the way, when I'm not weighing and measuring my food and telling my sponsor what I'm going to eat and eating exactly what I'm going to say, I also my legitimacy as a human being on this planet also starts feeling um, shaky because I'm so uncomfortable. And that discomfort, I understand now, is because I'm not in line with my higher power's wish for me. Anyway, so... I, list my, I listed my resentments. I listed, so that's one, one list. And then I listed um, my fears. And then I listed sex conduct on another chart. That's the step four. The step four is the list. And then, <clears throat> so that's the first two columns, kind of, What is the resentment or the fear or the sex conduct? Like, who is it it regarding or what is it regarding? And then kind of like, what's the story about it? You know, what do I come into my step five, into my conversation with my sponsor, prepared to discuss? And I know every sponsor does this differently. There are a million excellent ways to do it. It's not the only way. And then I made a long meeting with my sponsor. It's, I feel like I concentrate in hour doses, 
My first meeting with my sponsor about this was probably five or six hours, and we got through probably most of the resentment list. And it's not that I had 100 people on it. It's that it, it, I'm going to talk about the process, and maybe it'll be clear why it took me a long time. So then... I guess I want to read the promises of step five before I tell you how step five goes. So, of course, I tagged this all before, and now I can't find it anyway. Okay. Here are the promises of step five. They're on page 75, which is in the chapter Into Action. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character every dark cranny of the past. That's not the promise. That's the action. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our our fears fall from us. We We begin to feel the nearness of our creator We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. I guess for me, sitting down with my... So I'm going to give you an example. So... um, So... Who was I feeling resentment about? I'm going to do one that I have right now. So my mother asked me if I'm coming for Thanksgiving. I don't want to go to my mother's for Thanksgiving. I love my mother. I don't ever want to go there for Thanksgiving. That's very hard for her. Um, it, it's very hurtful to her to not have all her kids for Thanksgiving. Um, so... I go to the list of questions, and these are the questions my sponsor was asking me about each of my resentments. So, first we look at which part of self causes the harm. How does it affect, so this is the first thing, how does it affect my self-esteem and my ego? I feel horrible that my mother's upset with me. So I don't know if that's just ego. I guess it's a little bit of pride because it's about how someone else is feeling me about me. Pride is another thing we're going to look at. Self-esteem, pride. Um, But I feel bad about myself. I'm doubting myself. That's the self-esteem part. It affects my emotional security. That's another question. Does it affect your emotional security? It does. It has me upset. She asked me this. She texted it to me two days ago, and I still have it in my mind. So it's making me anxious. It's making me feel like... She's mad at me. Does it affect my pocketbook? I don't think so, but anything that has to do with my mother, is that the last five or the second, the third five? Ten's over. Ten's over? Thank you. Um, So um, anything to do with my mother in a way indirectly has pocketbook involved because um, I guess because she has money and she sometimes gives me money, and so I wonder what I have to do to stay on her good side or something. I'm not saying she has tons of money. I'm just saying there is money involved in my relationship with my mother. I also don't feel comfortable taking money from her in a way that I think a lot of kids feel comfortable taking money from their parents, but I just never have felt okay about it. Um, 
Does it affect my personal relationships? Well, of course it affects my relationship with her. It might affect my relationships with others too because I'm thinking, now I'm asking my boyfriend, like, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? And he's not ready to tell me what we're doing or what he's doing so I could figure out what I'm doing. Um, And also my kids maybe a little bit might feel some of the tension. Um, Does it affect my ambitions? It affects my ambition to be a good person, a good daughter. It affects my ambition to be happy, joyous, and free in, in my recovery because this feeling of like tension and fear, doesn't, it doesn't bring me closer to God. It's in my way. Um, one of them is sexual ambitions. It affects my relationship with my boyfriend because in this new way of life, in the recovery way of life, I don't ever need to tell another person what to do because that's their business. It's not my business. I just have to figure out what I have to do, but I'm feeling pressure (laughs) to know what he's doing. That's not really fair to him. Um, And then the last column, well, not the last column. The next column is what is the nature of my wrongs? So my sponsor is saying to me, when it comes to this resentment, now we're going to go through another list of things. How is this selfish? So... The miraculous thing about this section for me is that when I think about how it's selfish, first of all, now I'm aware it's completely selfish. It is completely my perspective on what I want and what I feel. It's my feelings overpowering everything, my need to know right away. That's all my selfishness. And that is tremendously connected with my understanding of God's power. Because God is running the show. God is the one with the light switch, not me. I don't know where things are going and where we're meant to be. I kind of have a sense of the right thing to do at a lot of times. Sometimes I don't know what to do. But if I'm thinking I need to control something, it's selfish, but it's also dishonest because I'm not God. And it's like I'm supposed to know things that I just don't know and can't control. So going through this section of is it selfish, is it dishonest, is it fearful, is it self-seeking, is it inconsiderate, has helped me understand what is God's job and what is my job. So I know that I'm being selfish I have a really hard time in this Thanksgiving situation thinking about, um, like, a lot of times when I'm feeling guilty, I can think, what am I actually doing wrong? And a lot of times there's something I'm really doing wrong that I don't want to do right. The Thanksgiving thing doesn't feel as clear to me because it's very hard, selfish, it's very hard for me to be there. Um... It's a lot of food and a lot of time at a table, and that's really not all it is. That's just a small part of it, a part of it. Um, is it inconsiderate? It is inconsiderate, because if I was really being considerate, I would maybe understand how important it is to my mother. That doesn't mean sacrificing what's best for me, but I have to think about what this is like for her. Is it, it, Am I self-seeking? So... My understanding of self-seeking is 
am I benefiting in any way? Am I looking for something for myself? So like if I'm gossiping about this situation, am I looking for support um, against my mother or against going there for Thanksgiving? So do not come up to me afterwards and tell me I should or shouldn't go because that will mean that me talking about it right now is self-seeking. I don't mean it to be self-seeking. I mean to use it as an example. What is my fear? So my fear is my mother will be mad at me. Thank you. Um, my fear is, you see I'm doing this right now, right? It takes a lot of thinking. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm afraid I'll disappoint my mother. I'm afraid I'll be a horrible person. I'm afraid she won't love me anymore. Um, I'm afraid it means I'm a bad person, I guess. Um, Okay. So that's what we go through, and then we categorize that, or I categorized it with my sponsor, what is the nature of my wrong? And the nature of my wrong, really, I don't know if this is true, I don't know how true this is for everyone, but it's self-centered fear. Um, the resentment is self-centered fear. So right away when I hear that, I'm like, that helps me relax a little bit, because I'm self-centered and I'm fearful, And so the guilt and the angst is coming from that. Then I turn to the prayer. Each each one of these, I would say um, the prayer on page 67, I think. Yeah. Okay, love this prayer. I hope I have time. I have one minute. Oh, my gosh. So three, perfect. Okay, so on page 67, the fourth step prayer... I think it's called the resentment prayer too. We ask God to help, so I ask God. So I'm going to say it like that. I'm not going to read it exactly. I'm going to say it how I say it when I'm actually doing the step. Or, God, please help me show my mother the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheer- cheerfully grant a sick friend. And I actually picture someone that it's very easy for me to be light and easy and gentle with like a friend at work who's telling me she doesn't want to go to her mother's for Thanksgiving. I don't really care if she does, so I could just be supportive. I don't think she's a bad person, you know. So anyway, um, that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend and that others would grant me. And actually, people are granting me tolerance, pity, and patience all the time. I do a million annoying things, and no one is harassing me the, and the way I harass others. I don't mean that I harass them to them, but in my head. So it's important for me to notice that people do that for me all the time. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, and I, I add, like me. So my mother's a sick person like me. How can I be helpful to her? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And then I add, forgive me for being angry and enable me to stop clinging to this resentment. Then I get quiet for a minute, or as long as it takes. It's hard for me to do that in front of this group. And think about how can I be helpful to my mother. And being generous with her. I don't have to be mad at her because she invited me for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Um... I could make another time to see her. I could, in a non-frustrated, defensive way, explain to her what's hard for me about going there and that has nothing to do with my feelings for her. 
Anyway, doing this process has given me a lot, a lot of peace. Every resentment I go through this way, when I did the whole thing, and then when I come back to it, which is more like an 11th step or a 10th step, I use the same format. I just find it incredibly freeing. And um, I hope what I said was clear or helpful, but thank you so much for listening. Hi, everybody. My name is Don, a compulsive eater and food addict. Those of you uh, who were paying attention, I was shuffling papers around on, the, on my desk there, on our desk, I should say, uh, because I was changing everything, the direction that I was going to go. Since Michelle was talking about the big book, I'm going to go another direction. Um, could you give me 10 minutes and five minutes? And then I'll switch gears and all those things. First of all, uh, who am I? My name is Don. I'm a compulsive eater and food addict. The numbers are 36, 34, 185, 30. What does all that mean? Right? 36 years in the program. Uh, 34 years abstinent, maintaining a weight loss of about 185 pounds now for 30 years. Uh, came to the program, never left, except for one brief, brief probably about a month, when my wife threatened me and said, them or me, because it was only women. And so I called women, and women called me, and for some reason, my wife didn't quite understand that. So I left for a month. This was early in the first year, uh, but it didn't take long to figure that I needed the program. So I went back, and that's the way it is. Um, I came to the program in uh, 1982, uh, grossly obese and suicidal. 30 months before I walked in the program, I had climbed on a bridge over the Hudson River in New York in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. and uh, But I didn't jump. I came down. Uh, so I was in, in bad shape. I was also an atheist. So I went through the program for a long time as an atheist. Uh, along about the fifth step, things began to open up a little bit. And I said, oh, maybe I'm an agnostic, really, not such an atheist. And you know, so it's 36 years now, and the journey continues. But uh, we're not here about my story. Uh, if you want my full story, uh, you can get it in the OA3 book. I'm the Freedom Isn't Free guy in there. I think it's Story 23, something like that. So <clears throat> the most important thing I have to say today is food is not the problem. I think everybody knows that. Food's the symptom. Uh, the real problem is between my ears because it's my thinking that leads to the feelings, that leads to the obsession, that leads to the first bite, that leads to the compulsion, that leads to the binge, that leads to the regrets, that leads to the resolutions. And maybe I'll keep the resolutions for about five minutes until the feelings come back again. So everything starts with the feelings, and that's what it was all about for me. I was, it was unconscious. I didn't realize it was happening for me. It really started in my 20s, not in my childhood. Uh, but it was all about the feelings. And so I learned in the doctor's opinion uh, there was only the big book when I came in, big book in the AA 12 and 12. So I learned there the nature of the disease, and that's probably the most important thing that I learned, I think. Not, not probably, definitely, because I learned that I did have a disease. Oh, I argued with it a lot. And addiction, are you crazy? But after a while of arguing and arguing and arguing, finally I said, I can't figure out any more, any other reason why I would do these stupid things, you know, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, must be a damn duck. And that's, that's what it was. I could not control what I put into my mouth. That's a 
difficult sentence to say, but that's what I finally uh, came to find out. So I found out that steps one, two, and three were just preparing me to get well. Nothing really happened in step one, two, and three. It's all mental. I put down the food. And four through nine are really where the action begins. It's, those are the change steps. So one, two, and three prepare me to get well. Four through nine get me well. And 10, 11, and 12 keep me well. Uh, so I had to put down the food first. You really can't work on changing yourself and assessing what's going on in your head if you're drunk. So it's impossible to do a real fourth step if you're, if you're still eating. So I, I've always looked at this program as a two-step program from 10,000 feet. The first step is putting down the food, sobering, detox. Our plan of eating is equivalent to detox in AA. And the second step is change. It's that simple. Put down the food and change. Because if I don't change, I will go back to eating again. So it's the change, the four steps, four through nine, that brought me the power as an atheist to keep working in this program and to continue working on. When somebody's having trouble and they say it's not working for me, I say, well, either you haven't been honest with your food or maybe you haven't changed enough. And you know the answer is almost 90% of the time, really haven't changed enough. And so change is hard. It's very, very hard. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I said four through nine are the change process. Step four, of course, is the beginning of the change. I walk five miles into the forest. I have to walk five miles out. It's not, uh, there is no magic cookie. Uh, It's a long journey. Uh, There's no helicopter out. There's no magic pill. There's just the 12 steps. This is a 12-step program. The 12 steps are a transformation process. You surrender to them, and that's really what I did. My third step was surrendering to the 12 steps and the program. You surrender to them, and something will happen. Uh, I used food consciously or unconsciously as a drug to dull my uncomfortable feelings. Um, In the fourth, I began searching for my part in creating the discomfort that leads me to comfort myself with food. And so that's what it was really all about. What goes on between my ears that sets me up for conflict with myself and with others that keeps me miserable and uncomfortable. I found the toxic foods in step one. Now I need to find the toxic attitudes, behaviors, thinking, right? So one and six and seven are, or four, five, six and seven are basically the same for me. Toxic food, toxic thinking. That's where the real issue is. So the fourth step is taking an inventory of everything on the shelves between my ears, the stuff that's okay and the stuff that's not okay. And so I'll talk about assets if I get time uh, a little bit later. So I want to give you some examples of the things that I found in my uh, fourth step uh, that led me to a different life and a new life. Uh, The big things for me, fear. Fear and its many derivatives were at the heart of many of my shortcomings. Uh, Fear of not being good enough, fear of failure, fear of making a mistake, fear of looking stupid, fear of looking silly, fear of criticism, fear of economic insecurity. All of that stemmed from my low self-esteem and self-worth, and that's what I brought to the program with me. Uh, Fear, doubt, and insecurity, a familiar phrase from from Big Book and other places in the program, and that's really uh, where I was. Um, False pride, overly self-conscious, overly self-conscious, always pretending to be what I'm not or to know what I don't know. I never heard of saying such a thing as I don't know before the program. You know, you ask me a question, I would make up the answer if I didn't know. 
maintaining a false image, always. Phoniness, unable to let go and let you see who I really am. I spent my life on stage, 41 years on stage acting. Uh, selfishness, me, me, me. Focusing on getting rather than giving. What am I getting out of this? Me, me, me. Self-centered, especially evident in my controlling thinking. What do I mean by controlling thinking? Attempting to control and manage the world, not so much overtly. I wasn't walking around giving people orders, but in my head I was. In my head I was spinning scenarios of what you should do, how you should act, imposing shoulds and oughts on people. That's what I, that's what I did. Now the problem with that is you never paid attention to what I wanted you to do. Because you couldn't read my mind, right? If you would have read my mind, you wouldn't have done it anyway because of defiance, right? So who's the problem here? I was the problem because I was spinning these scenarios and then you didn't pay attention and I was walking around angry, angry, angry all the time because the world didn't behave away to according to Don's plan. Self-pity. Not my fault. I'm a poor victim of circumstance. Uh, You know, if you had my parents, my spouse... My culture, where I came from, poor, poor, poor me, pour me a drink, as they say in AA. So I was totally a victim. Uh, anger and resentments. Anger, from my perspective, held on to becomes resentment, just playing the same video over and over and over. Resentments held on to become poison. There's no question that resentments are poison, 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 and I cannot afford those. Holding on to the poison uh, in me, whether perceived or actual wrongs done to me, will simply destroy me. Uh, Rationalizing. Dishonest thinking, lying to myself, convincing myself that all my excuses are valid and that my lack of responsibility for my thoughts, words, and actions is justified. Again, poor me, poor me, poor me. I can't help it. Guilt and shame. Hanging on to the bad things about myself in the same way I hang on to resentments against others. Uh... There was a lot of stuff in my background at 41 years old, from childhood and early 20s especially. And that was the stuff I thought I would take to my grave, but it was still bothering me. Thank you. Uh, And some wrong beliefs, I call them. There there were many other things, but some of the wrong beliefs that came from my culture. My worth is dependent on what others think of me. Wrong. My worth is dependent upon what I think of me. I need everyone's approval to be okay. Again, wrong. Not so. Self-sufficiency is man's greatest virtue. Asking for help is weakness. Wrong. That's what I got from my father. Never, ever, ever ask for help, particularly if you're a man. Never ask for help. Uh, I'm a prisoner of my past. I have no real hope of changing. Wrong. We can change anything we want to. We're in charge of our future and what we do. Uh, Expect, this is my mother, expect the worst from people and never be disappointed true a wrong attitude i have to be totally competent in everything in order to be okay wrong and one that drove my compulsive working perfection was perfectionism achievement equals self-esteem i thought the more awards i got the higher i got in management the higher more money i made the greater the house the greater the car etc etc that that was all going to bring me self-esteem wrong that's not where self-esteem comes from So those are some of the enemies. Now, I want to speak briefly about doing the fourth step because there's so many ways to do it. But we have some really 
clear ways now that we did not have when I came into the program. Uh, I used the big book. I did it the big book way, and then the AA 12 and 12 in the beginning. Uh, and then I did a whole bunch of other ways, but not relevant. I just want to mention today that we have clear, clear, clear ways of doing this other than the big book. In the new 12 and 12, uh, you've got in Chapter 4 now 110 questions divided into nine traits, uh, which are very, very easy to do, easy and hard, right? <laughs> you're going for the truth in yourself, but it's very organizable. It was not organized in the old 12 and 12. It is there. Now, those same 110 questions are in the OA workbook. The new A workbook has those questions in there, and you can now use that. Uh, probably most important, uh, I believe, and probably the most important publication that OA has ever done in its entire history is the new 12-step workshop and study guide. This guy. This guy has got everything you need in it. Workshops are developing all over the country with people using this book to, to go through the steps. Uh, all the stuff is in there. You find in there a resentments worksheet. You find a sex conduct worksheet. You find a fears worksheet and all the instructions for all these things. You find a guilt and shame uh, worksheet. You find an old problems worksheet. And you find an old beliefs worksheet. And you find a strengths worksheet. And that's one of the great things about it. It, it forces you to take a good look at your strengths. And there's a long list. I think it's about 40 things there that you can uh, take a look at to remind yourself that you, in fact, do have assets. You're not, it's just, not just liabilities. And lastly, it has a step four glossary, 48 definitions in there that are going to tell you what all these words mean. So very valuable book. I borrowed this one from the, from the people, people outside. They said they have a few left, and I told them I was going to mention it in, in here, and they said, uh-oh. <laughs> so you may get one out there if you're interested, if you don't have one. So I just want to mention those uh, two ways of doing the, the, uh, the fourth step now. It can be, it can be done. So how much time I have? How much? Seven minutes. Okay. Let me, let me take a little different tack before I mention the fourth, fifth step and talk about some of the opposite sides of these defects. You know, I began to identify the defects in four, and then I worked, cleared them up in five, and then I worked on changing these in six and seven. So another way of looking at four is to look at some of the results. I love to focus on solutions not just the problem. So I've been talking about problems. Let me tell you some of the actual ways, uh, some of the changes that happened as a result of identifying these problems in steps four and five for me. So this is the what I'm like now. Uh, I face and deal with life rather than whine and blame and eat. I take responsibility. No more blaming others or blaming circumstances. No more self-pity. No more victim mentality, no more envy or jealousy. Um, I've moved from thinking self-sufficiency, I mentioned before, is man's highest goal to being willing to ask for help. I cannot do this alone. Uh, I, I accept today that I, in fact, need help, that no man is an island, despite what my father said. I work hard on staying out of self-centeredness and controlling. Uh, I've stopped my mental master planning for the world. You know, those scenarios, those movies I was making in my head, I knocked them all off. No more fantasy. No more imposing shoulds and oughts. That's the thinking that always set me up for frustration. 
I gradually let go in the program of selfishness, which I identified for the first time here. Uh, it's been a gradual shift from the how do I get what I want to how do I give? How can I be useful? That is the basis of my life today, is how can I be useful to still suffering compulsive overeaters, and what can I do to help OA uh, stay alive and healthy? Uh, I work hard today on flexibility. Rigidity was actually the number one thing on my first list that I made at, at the fourth step way back in 1982. Uh, rigidity. Today I talk about structured flexibility, whatever that means. It means I have a plan. I always have a plan, but I'm, I'm loose. If I need to change, I'll change the plan. But I always have a plan. Uh, if I don't have a plan, I usually just end up wandering around and get into some place I didn't really want to go in the first place. So planning is cool. I've moved from anger and resentment into acceptance, from hatred and animosity into forgiveness, from intolerance to tolerance. Uh, a couple more. I've let go of the self-sabotaging perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is one of the stepchildren of fear. Fear has a lot of stepchildren. Uh, controlling, perfectionism, procrastination, false pride, um, anxiety. These are all derivatives of fear. Fear was at the, at the bottom of many, many of, of, of my things. I've moved from feeling inadequate and unworthy to feeling I'm okay. I have value. I have something to give. I am useful, useful especially to other suffering, suffering compulsive overeaters. So those are some of the examples of, of the change. But all that started in step four. So if you haven't been there yet, if you haven't done it, it's where the action is, folks. It's not a, it's not a uh, food program. It's a change program. The 12 steps are about change. So get in there and do them. And I've given you a couple examples of how you can, how you can start if you haven't started. Very concrete instructions there on how to do that. Let me say a few words about step five before my time is up. Step five was a really big step for me. Um, why do I need to take step five? Because if I don't, I won't get well. I had to clean out. I had to talk to somebody else. I had uh, Step five was a validity check for me, meaning it assured that I had been taking my inventory rather than somebody else's. Now, I remember the first time I sat down across the table from that guy, and he, we started, and I was talking, talking, talking. He said, wait a minute, this is your inventory, not your mother's. Oh, okay, so forget your mother. Let's talk about your side of the fence. Um, the fifth step was also for me the end of isolation. I was an isolationist. I hid out even in crowds. I was alone, and this was a time when I sat with somebody, and I actually opened up. I was 41 years old, 42 years old, and it was the first time in my life that I had ever been 100% honest with another human being. And my first fifth step was kind of composed of two parts. One was the skeletons. It's a bunch of skeletons there that I thought I would take to my grave. And then there was the personality things, looking at these traits that I'm talking about. So fifth step for me was the beginning of opening up my heart to another human being. Uh, it was the beginning of learning to trust somebody because I didn't trust anybody. Remember, that's the culture I came from. Don't trust anybody. Expect the worst. Expect that they're out to get you, etc. This was the beginning of the changing of that. It was also for me 
very much a wall coming down. I had built a wall around me when I was 19, 20 years old. So I don't remember 20, probably. I got my heart broken really, really uh, badly, so badly that I said, never again, never again. And I remember standing on the roof of a dormitory in Morgantown, West Virginia, West Virginia University, saying, never again, never again will I let anybody in here. And I didn't. A wall went up, and I didn't realize that the wall was there, it just, but it just kept getting thicker and higher. And I became what my father was, a stone. I went through the actions, I said the words, I went through life, got married, had kids, all that stuff, but I didn't feel anything. There was just, I was just that stone with that wall around me. That wall began to crumble right here in the fifth step. Didn't all go down, but it was the beginning of the crumbling. The other interesting thing that happened, and I'll close with this, is that I said I was an atheist, right? So... This was the beginning of spirituality for me. Uh, I felt nearer than ever before to something called a higher power, I guess, uh, more loving and trusting of other people. I felt that my past mistakes had been lifted and I could move forward as a man. So what I feel in, in hindsight, what I felt began to feel was healing. And something strange came into me. As I had finished, when I finished up, something strange came. It was as if something had been cleaned out and something now had room to come in. And I don't have any other good word for that other than the Christian word grace. It's as if something came in. One last story, just to show you. You know, they say the worst time in a world for an atheist is when he's really, really, really thankful and has nobody to thank. And that's sort of where I was. An atheist was spending a quiet day fishing when suddenly his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. In one easy flip, the beast tossed him and his boat high into the air. Then it opened its mouth to swallow both. As the man sailed head over heels, he cried out, Oh my God, help me! At once, the ferocious attack seen froze in place. And as the atheist hung in midair, a booming voice came down from the clouds. I thought you didn't believe in me. <laughs> Come on, God, give me a break. Two minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. <laughs> so never say never. Keep an open mind and trust the process. Thanks. This workshop will end at 3.30 p.m. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer... Okay, five shares we have time for. Um, the timer will signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, come to the front of the room and form a line to the right. You must sign the release form before you speak. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting. For those who arrive late, the topic of this workshop is steps four and five. The meeting is now open for sharing. 
Hi, my name is Ruth. I'm a compulsive overeater and addict. I come from Somerville, the Boston area. Um, I first came to program in 1979. I was abstinent in the Gracie community in Boston for nine years. Then I left, took a little vacation for seven years. Thank God I came back, and I've been abstinent for almost 24 years now. Um, And I really want to thank our leaders because I had, obviously I've had a long time in the halls. I've been through AWOLs the way we did them there, which is just, you know, go through the steps with a closed group. But I had never done the big book step study process. And last year, I just got into some kind of a depression, despite all the good things in my life that I have to be grateful for. It just felt like life is its just not that interesting. I really kind of can't wait to die. Um, I wasn't suicidal, but just feeling that. And I, so I started paying attention to a few people I knew talking about the big book step study process. And I'm like, they're all saying it's good. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But finally I'm like, maybe I should try it. You know, and I talked to different people and they all said it's life changing. So I'm doing it. That's the, that's the word. I have a sponsor and I'm writing. And, um, I loved how Michelle, you went through that because, it's kind of like, for me, it's a rebirth. Um, I know a lot of people pick it up as soon as they get into, as soon as they get abstinent, but I've been abstinent a long time. So I'm like, not, an, not a newcomer with my food, but I'm a newcomer with this process. And those simple questions, those simple words like selfish, dishonest, everyone I go through, like I'm, my sponsor gave me some notes, and I have to look at the notes every time. I feel like, what kind of a blockhead am I? I can't figure these out. It should be so simple. She said, just write 12 words on each, and it takes me 15 minutes, you know, so I really appreciate your struggling through that, you know, in person here, and um, the other thing I say is I'm getting so many rewards, even just on the fourth step, you know, before I've gotten there. And in fact, I was starting to harbor for a while something that I'm like, I'm not going to write about this. I am not going to write about this thing. I'm not going to tell the sponsor. She doesn't have to know. And um, something just came to me the other day. I'm like, I can't do this. So I texted another friend of mine and I said, I have to turn something over to you. And then I'll turn it over to my sponsor. So anyway, I spent an hour on the phone with him just yesterday, and I texted my sponsor, and I said, I'm just telling you there was something I wasn't going to tell you, but now I am going to tell you, blah, blah, blah. So um, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. And uh, so I do recommend it. And thank you for all your suggestions, too. Hi, everybody. I'm Don, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm from Hollis, New Hampshire, and I have been in program for about 16 years. I am approximately somewhere between 85 and 90 pounds lighter than I was when I came in the door, and I've kept it off for a long period of time. Am I as thin as I want to be? Probably not, but I'm really happy with where I'm at. 80 pounds less is a whole good thing for me. Talking about the fourth step and the fifth step has kind of always been uh, a love-hate relationship for me. I wrote my fourth step about five years ago, maybe six years ago. I started writing it, and I wrote, 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 and I wrote some more. And 
I thought, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I revisiting all of this pain and all of this suffering? Because every time I'd write something down, I would think about, what is my fourth step really to me? It's my moral inventory. It's my searching moral inventory. What did I do wrong? And from there, I started looking at the resentments that I had and the resentments causing me to do some of the things that I did. And I thought, okay, now I'm beginning to understand why this is important. The next thing I found is that from my moral inventory and from my fourth step, I found a bunch of people in there that I needed to just say, you know what, I forgive you. I really do, I forgive you. And so I started making phone calls to people and and talking to people and saying, I forgive you. And one of the guys that I said that to... I left him a message. I said, Rick, I said, uh, I called. This is Don Olson. You haven't talked to me in a long time. And and I, I just called because I want you to understand the stuff you did to me. I forgive you for it. He called me back in tears. Thank you. And he said, I am so sorry. He said, all those years went by. He said, and I know what I did wrong. He said, and I am so happy that we've re- reconnected. So I thought that was really wonderful. I've been able to forgive a lot of people that did what I thought were wrong things to me. Now, what about the wrong things I did to other people? I started calling some of them and making my amends. Now, people said, well, what about your fifth step, Don? Every time I tried to give my fifth step away, the person I tried to give it to left program. I have a fifth step I have not been able to give away. I'm scared to give it to anybody because I don't want them to leave too. So please understand, um, it's long, it's full of juicy stuff, and if you want to hear it, I mean, we could talk, but then again, you may leave program. Thank you. Hi, I'm Barbie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and uh, I've been in program 27 years and did my first four step about maybe 26 years ago. Um, my, my first sponsor was a food sponsor, and she hadn't done the steps, so I took the brand new at that time, 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous on a business trip with me. And in the hotel, I did my fourth step, answering all the questions. Um, later, I found a sponsor who I read those steps to. Um, and it was very, it was very nice but it didn't bring about the change you're talking about. And um, one of the things it did do, it took me off the hook in terms of step five because she nodded and said, yes, she'd done those things too. And I gave her one of my most embarrassing experiences with myself. And she, it was, I I got quiet. I got very quiet reading it. And she said, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, we all do that. So um, I persisted. Now, what I really want, the only thing I want to say to everybody in this room is if you have not done your fourth step, don't worry about it. Just do it because you get a chance to do it again. You don't have to do it perfect the first time. And I was afraid to do it because I thought it had to be perfect. And I really, really, really wanted to recover. And so it had to be perfect perfect so that I could recover. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I did an, then I did an AWOL and 
that was okay. And I did a couple, I led a couple AWOLs and I, I did the whole 12 steps over one issue that I had buried until it came up. I've done a lot of different things and, and, um, I've done the, I've done it through the big book with a, with a sponsor who kind of led me through that process. Um, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have to do a big, a, um, a uh, fourth step and fifth step again because I now have a tenth step buddy. Thank you. And so when I get a resentment, or even if I don't have a resentment, because I usually don't know when I have them, I pick up my book because I'm going to have to call her. I call her once a week. And I write down. As soon as I pick it up, I know a resentment or a fear. I just do. They, I'm, they're always there. And I just stop to, to write it down. And then I call her and I give it to her. So I do a fourth and fifth step every week, and um, it keeps me it keeps me on track. And it is through this that I have been abstinent for um, about twenty years. No, no, I've only been in yeah, I've been in twenty seven. So twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gary, very grateful recovered compulsive reader from New York. Thank you so much. I want to thank the uh, sharers, the qualifiers, and uh, I'll put in a pitch for the 12-step workshop guide also. Uh, I had the privilege to do uh, and lead for them, and they're life-changing, life-enhancing, and as Don said, they keep me well. Um, when I came into program 17 years ago at 330 pounds, uh, I was very quickly giving the fear of the fourth step, like you'll never, you know, got to do it perfectly, telling myself that, listening to other people's stories. And uh, all of that is false. It's not, it's, it's really not reality. Uh, the fourth and fifth step are life enhancing. Um, they do get, they did help me to get well. And I was told that if I didn't do them, I would not keep my abstinence. And I had trouble believing that. Uh, but it is the truth. I remember being at, at a Region 6 conference early on in my recovery and hearing this man share about his many, many years of abstinence. And uh, one day he's sitting watching TV one night, and all of a sudden he gets a thought about ice cream that he hadn't had in 20 years, 20 years. And he did some inventory about it, and he realized that he had a fear that he wasn't dealing with, involved the phone call. And he wrote about it, and the next day he made the phone call. And it was now five years later, and he not had another ice cream food thought. That left an impact on me because all of a sudden I was able to identify my fears and my resentments with my food thoughts and my overeating. And I recognize that, as my sponsor says, when I have uncomfortable feelings, sensations, or thoughts, uh, my natural inclination as a compulsive overeater is to turn to food to make me feel better. Uh, so I don't want to do that anymore, uh, the fourth step and then turning it over in the fifth step, thank you, um, is what helps keeps me abstinent. Uh, the fifth step principle um, is integrity, and I actually had to look that up and see what it really meant. Um, and it really, for me, uh, it means living by a set of values or principles, and it meant that in the first four steps, I learned how to be more honest in step one, more hopeful in step two, more faithful in step three, more courageous in step four. And now in the fifth step, I had to put those all together and turn that, turn my honest, be honest, hopeful, 
that this guy I was going to share with was not going to jump up and run away when I told him all my crap uh, and have faith that uh, God would be with me and uh, have the courage to turn it over. And that's the integrity uh, as we do the more of the step work and we develop more of the principles and the values, then that integrity becomes a larger uh, set of principles to live by that has kept me absent for all these years and by God's grace has helped me to keep, keep maintain over 120-pound weight loss. So uh, this workshop uh, is wonderful. I highly recommend it, and I want to thank the speakers again. Hello, my name is Isabel. I'm a computer supervisor and a food addict. I'm from Massachusetts. Um, I came in a way in 2004, and uh, I think it took uh, maybe until three years ago, four years ago, that someone told me about working the steps. How sadly is that? Um, my first sponsor asked me to read the big book, one page a, a day, but she never said we are going to work the steps. And I was like, why should I read this book? I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not going to do that. So I never did. So four years later, I was introduced to um, a vision for you, and then I found a sponsor, and she said, we are going to work the steps. It's what, what we do as a sponsor. We only work the steps because it's a step uh, program. It's not a diet program. It's not a self-help program. In fact, it's a self-deflation program. When you work the, the steps, I mean, for me, it's uh, I call that my little self, my ego, is um, I try to stay away. I mean, it's not, I don't want to have my ego in a way. So by working the step, I am not self-centered, I'm God-centered. And I hear, now I can say that I hear God speak to me and guide me. And when I did the fourth step the f four years ago, I was, it took me, I mean, it took me two weeks to do it. So you don't need to wait to, to do it in three years or four years when I hear people to do that. Because so I did it in two weeks and uh, I was looking at it and I said, I don't have anything, I'm not, I don't have any resentment. I mean, uh, I, I, it was very hard for me to, to, to do it because I thought, first of all, I didn't do anything to any people. I'm always, always very kind, always very loving. So I, it was very hard to see my part. I was like, hmm. So it was a very good process for me because uh, I, of course, I saw my part in everything. Even when I was nice, it was because I wanted to be loved. I wanted to, so... It was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful process for me to do. And uh, the fifth step, um, of course, the fifth step. Uh, so I, but I, after doing it the first time, uh, and I heard people say, you know, when you do it, you will be on a pink cloud. And the first time I said, I'm not on a pink cloud. How come? So two months later, I did it again. But I did it with a man this time. And it was very therapeutic for me to do that with a man. So... Uh, it was uh, so. If you are not doing the step, I urge you, urge you to. Uh, this is where the recovery is in a step. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, thank, uh, I want to just mention because we didn't really mention the principle of step four is courage, and like Gary said, the principle of step five is integrity. So, um, okay. There's always so much more to talk about. Um, we'd like to thank everyone who attended this workshop, and thank you to our timekeeper. 
Uh, we'll now close the meeting with the serenity prayer. If everyone could hold hands.